We are thrilled that you are here this morning to uh, worship and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. You know, as I think about the uh, resurrection of Jesus, I'm reminded of a prayer that a young child was overheard praying as her mother put her down for the night. After praying for everybody she knew, you got to love the prayer of a little child. She had prayed through every one of her family members. She'd prayed even for both of her pets. And she had also prayed for her favorite toys. The young girl added this close to her prayer. And dear God, take care of yourself too. If anything happens to you, we're all sunk. You know, I have a little doubt this morning that that probably adequately sums up where the disciples were at in their prayers the last week of Jesus' life on earth. What must have been going through the minds of Jesus' disciples? What were they thinking and feeling in those last days before that Easter Sunday morning? What do you say... That before we focus on the resurrection here this morning, we just take a brief moment on this Easter morning and put some real things briefly into perspective. Let's just for a moment start with, of all things, the birth of Jesus. You remember the birth of Jesus? The words of King Herod, when told of the birth of Jesus, were simply, kill him. There's room only for one king in this kingdom. How about the number of religious leaders who believed a Messiah had been born in Bethlehem? Zero. How about the type of people, the type of people who did? Some night shift shepherds. A couple of stargazers. And a couple of newlyweds who actually claimed to have more experience giving birth than having sex. The rewards... The rewards for Joseph and Mary, you know, Mary who rode on a donkey pregnant for miles. The rewards given to Joseph and Mary for bringing God into the world was two years in exile as refugees in Egypt, learning Egyptian. Now, folks, that was the beginning of the Christian movement. 
And you know what? Those were the calm years. How about his ministry? The word on the street in Jesus' hometown, when he claimed to be sent by God, weird family. Have you seen his cousin? How about the reaction of the hometown folks? You know, the hometown folks. Stone him. How about the opinions of his physical brothers? We need to admit him. He's out of his mind. The number of disciples Jesus recruited... 70. The number of disciples who defended him to the authorities in his hour of need, zero. Zero. The number of lepers, blind, and lame people that Jesus healed in his three-year public ministry. I put before you too many to record and certainly too many to count. The number of healed lepers, blind and lay people who defended Jesus on the day of his trial and death. Zero. And then we get to the execution. The popular opinion regarding Jesus before he cleansed the temple? Man, let's let's see if he'll run for office. The popular opinion regarding Jesus after he cleansed the temple? Let's see how fast he can run. The decision of the Jewish council, a Roman crossbeam and three spikes. The talk on the street of Jerusalem after Jesus died? He should have stayed in the furniture business. The number of times Jesus prophesied that he would come back to life three days after he died. That was three. The number of apostles who heard those prophecies. Well, all of them. The number of apostles who actually waited at the tomb to see if he would do what he said? Zero. The number of his followers who believed in the resurrection before it occurred? Well, by now, even if you were an English major, you could do the math. (laughs) The odds of, the odds a Las Vegas bookie would have given the day the day after the crucifixion on the possibility that Jesus' name would be known in the year 2017? Man, I'll give you better odds that he'll rise from the dead. And then finally, as we just contemplate these thoughts, how about the reason he did it? Well, look at the person. Go ahead and turn and look at the person next to you. And then when you get a chance, 
Look at your own face in the mirror. Well, the verdict after two millenniums, Herod was right. There was room for only one king. Well, what do you say we shift our focus now? And how about after putting some perspective on things, we chat for a moment, you and I, about grave clothes. You know, that's what we have hanging on the cross there. I don't know if you thought about it, but for the first century, for those well-to-do, or those who had pity put on them as Jesus did by a wealthy man, that was your grave clothes that you're looking at there. You know, in 2017, this is what grave clothes look like. There you go. There's your grave clothes if you're a guy. I can't believe Connie actually picked out a Donald Trump tie. Seriously, to bury me in. Great. Talk about controversy right there all the way to the end. Way to, way to bond with the whole church here on my deathbed. When was the last time you really, you really had a conversation about grave clothes? I mean, really, have you ever sat around? You know, if you get older, you, you talk a lot about your health. We have dear friends uh, visiting from San Antonio who we worked for years in the ministry with. Tony and Melanie Singh led the Toronto church. They led the Chicago church. Just dearest of friends over decades. We've had a blast this weekend. We talked about health quite a bit. Thank goodness we haven't yet. They head off this afternoon, but we haven't yet talked about grave clothes and what we might be wearing. You know, there's a list of depressing subjects I'm sure we could come up with. And I got to tell you, burial garments would probably be right up there with root canals and IRS audits. <laughs> Ever seen a store that specializes in burial garments? Man, you could call it clothes to die for. That's good branding. I'm just telling you, no one, no one talks about burial garments except for the Apostle John. He was an exception. And I got to tell you, if he was around today, it wouldn't take too much to get him going on the subject. Raise the subject, and boy, John will be right there to tell you how he came to see burial garments as a symbol of triumph. He mentions them in John 19, verse 38. It says, later... 
Joseph of Arimathea as Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus bought a mixture of myrrh and alios, about 75 pounds. That kind of tonnage was for royalty, folks. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. Did you catch it? John mentions the linens. Because to him, what I really want you to see this morning is that they were a picture of Friday's tragedy. You see, as long as there were no grave clothes, as long as there was no tomb, as long as there was no coroner, to John there was hope. But the arrival of the hearst triggered the departure of any hope. And to this apostle, the burial garments symbolized tragedy. I mean, really, could there have been a greater tragedy than the execution, the shameful, painful execution of his dearest friend? Three years earlier, John had turned his back on his career, and boy, he had casted his lot with that Jewish carpenter. Earlier in the week, John, like the others, man, they enjoyed a celebratory palm parade as Jesus and his disciples triumphantly entered Jerusalem. Wow, how quickly crowds can turn. That's why I'm not going to preach too long today. The people who would call him king on Sunday called for his very death the following Friday. You let that sink in. And these linens, these linens, as you see hanging on this cross, these linens were a tangible reminder that both his friend and his future were wrapped in cloth and sealed behind a rock. However, on that first Easter Sunday, God took clothing of death and literally made it into a symbol of life. He took tragedy and, boy, he turned it into triumph. Here's what I want you to walk away remembering this morning. God is at his very best when life is at its very worst. 
In fact, God, boy, he just loves to work through tragedy. You know, maybe by now you should ask yourself, as I do, could he do the same if I let him for me? You lose your job. Your marriage falls apart. Your health takes a terrible turn for the worst. Your child gets pulled deeper and deeper into the world. You pray hard for something that just does not happen. And you begin to doubt some of the things that you've been taught that the Bible says. Could God really use such things for something good? How far can we go with verses like this very famous one in Romans 8? And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You know, you got to ask yourself, does everything include terminations, tumors, tests? John would tell you that God can turn any tragedy into a triumph. If only, and here it is, you will wait and you will watch. You know, before we get there really too quickly, there's something significant that I really want us all to ponder. And I think we really forget it. John didn't know on that Friday what you and I so well know now and why we're here this morning. Man, it's easy to forget that. He didn't know that Friday's tragedy would literally turn into Sunday's triumph. In fact, John very openly and vulnerably would later confess in John 20, verse 9, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Boy, you let that sink in. That's why what he did now, and now we can get there, that's why what he did on Saturday, I want to tell you, is so, so significant. You know, I kind of love that we don't know anything about that day. I love the white spaces in the Bible. You know, those spaces between sentences. Because I have some of my best time with God thinking about those white spaces. And just meditating on, wow, I wonder what Saturday really was like for those guys. 
Well, for whatever reason, we don't have any passage to read and I don't have any knowledge to share. But what we do know is even more significant because what we do know is this. And here it is. When Sunday came, John was still present. When Mary Magdalene came looking for him, apparently she easily found him. You know, the point is simply this this morning. Sometimes, many times, we just need to stick it out. We just need to hang out. As a 40-year-old follower of Christ, I will tell you, surviving is really underrated. Galatians 6 verse 9 admonishes us to hang on. And it says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. No, not, not your time. You see, at just the right time, the maker of time says, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't give up. You know, I got to be very honest with you this morning. Can Can I be bold? Because some of you I won't see again till Christmas, so you'll get over it by then. And no, I, I don't say that in any way to be offensive. I really don't. If you want to know in the Christian community, and again, I don't mean this to be offensive, but more funny. We call you the Christmas and poinsettia and lily people. The poinsettia and lily people, because... The only flowers you see are either lilies or poinsettias. And and I say that to say that this message is really at the heart of it for you, but it's really for all of us. You got to hang out. You got to be around. You got to be easy to find. Listen to how J.B. Phillips puts it. Who is J.B. Phillips? I have no idea, but listen to how he puts it. (laughs) Let's not grow tired of doing good. For unless we throw in our hand, the ultimate harvest is assured. Man, you may have been dealt a bad hand in life. But play it out. You don't know what you might get past. I'm just telling you, surviving is underrated. Jesus was dead. The master's body was lifeless. Jesus' friend, uh, or John's friend in future, man, they were buried and sealed. Why hadn't John left? You see, that's in the white space there. I love the white space. Why was he around? Was he, was he 
waiting for the resurrection? Well, not according to what we just read. He didn't even understand it yet. As far as he knew, Jesus' lips were sealed forever, his hands forever stilled. He in no way was expecting a Sunday surprise. He hadn't even heard of the Easter bunny. (laughs) Then why was he there? You think, really, come on, guys, you think after the climate in Jerusalem on that weekend, he would have gotten the heck out of there. Who was to say that the men who crucified Jesus wouldn't come after him? Since the crowds were apparently so pleased with the crucifixion, the religious leaders might have called for more blood and likely would have. Why didn't John get out of town? Perhaps the answer is more pragmatic than anything. Maybe in his good-heartedness, he was taking care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, as his dear friend Jesus had asked him to in agony on the cross. Or very likely, perhaps, wow, guys, he didn't have anywhere to go. Could it be that he didn't have any money? Like a college student? Or any energy, like a 60-year-old? Or any direction? Or all the above? Or maybe he lingered simply because he loved Jesus. Because he got to know the real man. You see, to others, Jesus was a miracle worker. To others, Jesus was the master teacher. To others, he was the very hope of Israel. But to John, he was all these, and he was more. Jesus was his best friend. And you got to love loyalty. You got to love loyalty and friendship when you simply don't abandon your best friend even in the face of danger. And so whatever the reasons and maybe all the above, John stayed close to Jesus when it got tough. And, you know, he just had a habit of doing that. You see, that's not something you're going to automatically do when things get tough. You better start practicing now before things get really tough. I was diagnosed a few months ago with reoccurring cancer. To my surprise, people have remarked, wow, I can't believe how well you're doing. I can't believe your spirit. And with all due humility and respect, I will simply say to you, you better not wait to start till you get the diagnosis. 
See, I'm working on my Ph.D. right now in spirituality. Yeah, that's, that's what I feel like I'm working on. But let me say this. You better get your master's first. And some of you right now, you're going through your bachelor in arts training. Maybe you're fairly young in the Lord. Some of you, well, you haven't even enrolled in university yet. And today, good news for you. We're going to waive the tuition if you sign up today. Boy, I hope you make a decision before things get tough. Get into the Bible with someone this week. Learn what it means to love Jesus. Learn what Jesus expects from you and how he wants to abundantly bless you. You know, what about you, really? When you're in John's position, what do you do? When it's Saturday in your life, how do you react? When you are somewhere between yesterday's tragedy and tomorrow's triumph, what do you do? Do you leave God or do you linger near? Now, here's what I really want you to see. The reason this is so, so important is because Saturday is where we spend most of our life. Somewhere between that tragedy and not yet in that triumph. You know, I've taught that when we pray, our prayers will be answered in one of four ways. When you pray for something, it's either going to be yes, it's going to be no, it's going to be maybe thirdly, not yet, or fourthly, it could be, I have something better for you. But I'm telling you, those are the only four ways I can figure out prayers in my life have ever been answered. Yes, no, sometimes we need to accept the no, or not yet, Saturday, or I have something much, much better for you. And if the answer is not yes, my question is, what are you choosing? You see, it was as simple as this. John chose to linger. And because he lingered on Saturday, we can close by looking at Sunday. And in John chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, Early on Sunday morning, why it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, whom we know now to be John. She said they had, and you say, how do I know that? Because John wrote it. 
She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You better be in shape because the Christian life is not easy. That's another sermon. He stopped and looked in and saw the linen wrapped and lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noted the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth had, that had been covering Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. Upon hearing the news, two disciples hurried to the tomb. John, who outran Peter, arrived first, and what he saw stunned him. He froze at the entrance. Because you know what he saw? He saw burial garments. And it says he also saw the cloth that had been around Jesus' head was folded up and laid in a different place from the strips of linen. You know, the original Greek provides great insight here. It says that they were rolled up still in their folds. Man, I hope you made your bed this morning. You see, the burial garments that were hanging there or lying there in the tomb, and this is pretty significant. They hadn't just been thrown off or ripped off. That Donald Trump tie, it wasn't cut up. And I got this before he ever ran for president. But, but that tie was nicely put in place, and the garments were folded up and laid right there as a sign of triumph in that tomb. How could they still be in their original state? The linens undisturbed, the grave clothes still rolled and folded. If friends or foes had removed the body, would they have taken the time to fold up the linens or would the linens have gone with or been disposed of? But if neither friend nor foe took the body, who did? And you see, that was John's question. And that led to John's awesome discovery. He saw and he believed. I close with this thought. If God could use something as sad as burial wrappings to completely change a life, not to mention the course of history and eternity, what could he do in your life if you'll simply hang around?
and hang out. You see, God's always given to such practices in his hands a crude manger in Bethlehem became a symbol of approachability. Empty wine jugs at a wedding became a symbol of power. A basket of a few fish and loaves becomes a symbol of unending blessings. And a crude tool of death becomes an endearing symbol of the depth of his love. Should we really be surprised that he takes the wrappings of death and literally makes them the picture of life? Could God do something similar in your life? Really? Really, are you that messed up? Are you that difficult? I mean, what else does he have to prove? Could God take what is a tragedy today and turn it maybe in the next hour? Maybe by tomorrow, maybe by the end of six weeks of radiation, six more weeks, could he turn it into a symbol of triumph? You see, I have no doubt that God has a habit and loves to do such things. You know, there's going to be not only the great celebration that we read about on that Sunday at the tomb. I mean, think about it. They went to the tomb, and the last thing they thought they were going to have was a celebration. I'll tell you, that's a celebration that we're enjoying here this morning. But folks, this party is going to go on and on, and we haven't even gotten in the doors yet. And uh, I don't know about you, but boy, if there's anything I, I want to think about as I look at those burial garments and that triumph of victory is I want to make sure my name is on that list, the guest list. And I pray that uh, I pray that you will have the same Amen. conviction to act. Amen. As Jesus would often say, to he or she who has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. Amen. Let us pray.